Well, my name is Nick. If I haven't got an opportunity to meet you or introduce myself, and uh, I really do mean this, like I love being able to serve as community pastor here. It is a great honor and privilege, and I'm thankful that you guys allow me to do that. Um, I'm really glad that you guys are here. It's a uh, time change on a Sunday is never a perfect storm that you really want, right? So one of the things I need you to work on is I've been doing this a long time. Somebody's gotten their clocks wrong. So when they walk in, you have to give them grace eyes, which means you look and smile. Okay? So that way they feel welcomed and not judged. Because it will happen. And they're not late. They're just really early for the next service. Okay? So everybody's good? Everybody's tracking with me? Awesome. Well, we're in our series, The Gospel of John. We're going to be in John chapter 4 today. So if you have your uh, Bible with you or device, excuse me, please start turning there. If you don't have one, there are Bibles underneath uh, the seats that you are welcome to use. Feel free to take it home if you don't have one. Um, I want to say thank you as you're turning there because you've obviously noticed we are in full swing with dirt being moved and parking has changed a lot. Um, and so I'm saying thank you as in uh, thank you for parking far away. Uh, thank you for being willing to jump in a golf cart with someone you've never ridden with before to uh, come back up here to the buildings. Um, as we make these transitions, like uh, we want to let you know that we're thinking through all of these things to help best serve the, the church. And parking is our number one thing, as you see on this side, that we're really hoping this gets done soon and quickly uh, because it matters. And we don't want to keep having to park in dirt and mud forever. Um, and it's really cool. It's really exciting to see stuff happening. But ultimately, we don't want that building to ever become an ultimate thing in our life, right? As a church, we're excited to have this tool, but if it becomes an ultimate thing, then we've missed the mark on all of it. And so thank you for your grace and your patience. Please be careful as you walk. Sidewalks are disappearing now, so <laughs> pay attention where you're going at, at all times. And so we're going to be in John chapter 4, um, just to kind of recap a few things that um, would be helpful um, as we go through this is to think about where we've been in the last three chapters um, the whole thrust of John has been that God has come in the flesh to reveal himself to the world so that the world through Jesus may be reconciled to him. So we are a condemned, broken, lost world in need of Jesus to sanctify us, to redeem us. And so John 1 starts with him coming in the flesh. Jesus has always existed, but he came and dwelt in the flesh so that we may know who he is and what he is doing. And then we've seen him begin his public ministry, and he's talking, and he's teaching, and he's reshaping the way we think about how to be religious. Because it's not about being religious. It's about having a relationship with Jesus. And so if you've seen over the, the past few chapters that when Jesus speaks and he's teaching and he's doing miracles, most of the people that are present in the audience miss what he's talking about. They can't seem to get onto this eternal purpose that is driving his earthly ministry. And this eternal purpose that he is working out with us, he's doing it very, very intentionally. Because one of the things we need to keep in mind is as Jesus is here talking to the Samaritan woman, or when Jesus is uh, turning water into mine, he has the cross in view. 
He knows why he's here. He knows where it's leading him to. And last week we saw, excuse me, we saw how Jesus balances out both his love and his judgment, his righteousness. And so right now we're going to see this narrative play out where Jesus is doing this with a specific person, the woman at the well. We don't know a whole lot about her other than what scripture has told us. And that's more than enough for us to understand what Jesus would like to see happen in her life and our life today. So if you would join me in John chapter four, starting in verse one, it says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field uh, that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. So for you time change people, that's about noon. It's in the middle of the day. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Let's stop right there for a moment. For us to really appreciate what is happening, we need to understand the cultural background of what she's referring to. So one... I said that Jesus' public ministry is very purposeful and intentional. In verse 4, he says that he has to go to Samaria. There are other ways to go from Judea to Galilee without going through Samaria. Now, it is the quickest route, a three days journey. But because of this cultural background, there was some that would go around to avoid this area altogether. So what we need to understand is in the Old Testament, God's people Israel were beginning to be unfaithful. That's a story we hear a lot with Israel, right? They're unfaithful. They turn their hearts towards other things other than God. And so what God begins to warn them is, is if you continue in this unfaithfulness, you're going to go into exile. You're going to go into slavery or under the, the rule and authority of someone else. And so in 722 BC, we see Assyria now take over Israel. And one of the plans is to intermarry with Israel and to bring in and introduce more pagan gods and worship. And so what ends up happening is you have Gentiles and Jews marrying and this lineage of the Jewish people begins to deteriorate. And so if you are in this time and you are, for, better, for lack of better terms, a full-blood Jew, you would look down on somebody whose lineage was mixed with both Jew and Gentile. And not only because of that, you would look down on them because ceremonially they're unclean. They worship false gods, false idols. We worship the true God. We're good. They're bad. And so there was this tension that had been created. And that was eight centuries ago before this had happened that they had fallen into exile. And so if we think about what is happening when Jesus approaches this woman who has come during the day to be away from everybody, when Jesus says, would you give me a drink? He's breaking some protocols and the woman calls him out on it. One, a man didn't talk to a woman. Two, a Jew didn't talk to a Samaritan woman or a Samaritan. And three, because Jewish people believe them to be ceremonially unclean, you wouldn't drink after them. Because you don't want to be unclean. 
And so she calls him out and she's like, whoa, what are you, a Jew, doing asking me for a drink? Like, you're breaking a lot of protocols here, social protocols, and in some sense, a religious protocol on your side to not interact with me, much less drink from me or after me. And so Jesus is asking her to do something that is contrary to what she understands. And we have those things in our own lives today. We have social contracts with people, whether you know them or not. There's just certain things that you don't do or you don't ask. Like, have you ever had somebody who just asked you something really personal from the very beginning? You're just kind of like, whoa. <laughs> like, I know you're nice and all, but no, you can't have my social security number. <laughs> right? Like, have you ever just had somebody ask you some personal questions and you just kind of feel like you inside just kind of want to back up? Like, I'm not ready for this. I'm not there. And so that's what's happening here as he's talking to her. And she's saying, like, how are you, a Jew, asking for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And we see in the passage, it says, for Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. And you have to think again, like, for her personally, she's at the well in the middle of the day to avoid people. Take away the cultural background, which really helps us, but personally, she doesn't want that. Think about it culturally for a second with me, is that what if you, how would you feel if you realized you were a product of a, an intentional plan to dilute the Jewish lineage, that you would be considered a curse among the Jews? And that would be your life. That's all you knew. You would feel like an outcast. And for some of you today, like that's something you're experiencing yourself. You feel like an outcast, that you don't belong. And so Jesus is breaking through this cultural shame. And here in a second, we're going to see that he's also going to talk to her about personal shame. And there's two parts of that. One, her being a Samaritan, cultural shame. But two, she's not even wanting to be around Samaritans. There's a personal shame involved in this as well. And so if you want to have a point or something to really lock this down is that Jesus is not concerned with gender or race or social economics. He's considered or he's more concerned with the person, the heart. He doesn't care about those other things. He's going straight for the heart. So if you would uh, join me again in verse 10 as we continue this to uh, understand this narrative. And so Jesus answered her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would, excuse me, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. She's missing the point. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself and his sons did also in his livestock. So Jesus said to her, I'm going to clarify is what he's saying. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I have give, the water that I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. What we see is the woman's missing it, just like we saw with other passages where Jesus is teaching and showing miracles. Like with the temple, he says, hey, tear this temple down. He's referring to himself, the body, and he goes, and I will raise it up in three days. They didn't see the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the person. They looked at the temple that took over 40 years, and they're like, how are you going to rebuild this? 
So often we miss what Jesus is talking about, and he takes the time to explain this to her. And so he says, listen, we're not talking about water. We're not talking about this. We're talking about something different. He's shifting through this eternal life that is provided through living water. If we were to jump ahead to John 7, 37, as the author is continually reminding us that Jesus is the living water. So in verse 37, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great city, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. If you look at this understanding of living water, it's about this clean water that is rushing. It's moving. It's not stagnant. It's not stale. And so Jesus is having to explain to her, it's not about this water. This water, you'll still be thirsty. You're going to have to come back to this. What I'm offering you is something more. Jesus is speaking to her exile, to her being separated from God. That cultural shame, that being estranged. Reminds me of Jeremiah 2, verse 13, when God is talking to his people about their unfaithfulness. And he says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and had hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So there's two things going on in their unfaithfulness. There's one, they've, they've turned from the real living water. And two, now they're trying to make living water for themselves with something that cannot hold the living water. How often in our lives do we start to look for other things to fulfill something inside of us that only Jesus can fulfill? So we're no longer talking about regular water. We are now talking about spiritual things. Her spiritual condition is what Jesus wants to talk to her about. And up to this point in this passage, we really feel like she's excited, right? Like she's like, I'm hearing what you're saying, and what you're saying so far makes sense to me, and it sounds really good. And so at this point, it would almost be like we would say, let's pray the prayer and let's be saved, right? Because she's like, show me this living water. I want this living water. But Jesus is not just concerned with her exterior, that she just knows what the right things are. Like Jesus is concerned with the heart. Jesus is concerned with the heart, and he's willing to have the awkward, hard conversation with her so that she may know the real truth, the truth that brings freedom, the truth that brings transformation, the change of the heart. Church, when we have people in our lives that are willing to have that hard conversation like Jesus, they are a blessing. That's why we want community group and community here at uh, Solid Rock so that we can come and be real and be known and be exposed so that we can experience the love of Christ. If we look at verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, "I, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Let's backtrack that she is coming to the well in the middle of the day. She does not want to be known. She has cultural shame. And we see here she has personal shame. Five husbands even today would be something that somebody would say, That's excessive. You throw that back in this time and it seems excessive. 
And not only that, Jesus says, you are now with your husband, this man now. And Jesus' wording implies that she knows this person intimately. And, she's, and he's like, that's not even your husband. So very beginning of our conversation, Jesus says, give me a drink. And she starts pushing back like, hey, this is against the protocol. She's protecting herself. She's dissing herself, saying, you're not supposed to ask me that. You're a Jew. Now Jesus is transforming the conversation into more about who she is and her heart, where she is at. And he's like, you've had five husbands. And the one you're now with is not your husband. And she's now realizing this guy knows something about me that I didn't want anybody to know about. I don't want you to know my junk. I don't want you to know my struggle, my stuff, my hurts. I don't want anybody to know that. And so sin creates isolation from biblical community, creates isolation from the Father. And Jesus wades through all of that the cultural things, we've already seen him press forward in that, but even in these things, to have the intentional conversation that's sometimes hard to do with somebody, and he's saying it because I love you. I want to have this conversation. And so as he reveals to her things about herself that she didn't want anybody to know, she's like, you're right. You have to be a prophet to know that. There has to be something different about you to know that about me. Church, Jesus wants to walk through our hurts and our messes. And there is not a hurt or a mess or a sin or a brokenness that is greater than he. Because if that were true, then they would be greater than him. And there is nothing greater than Jesus. So Jesus looks to move in closer in relationship. And it's interesting is she's not the religious one who seems to be close to God. She's the broken and the meek, the one who's willing to walk in humility with him, the unlovable, the outcast, the one on the fringe, that Jesus is saying, I have something greater for you. So we've shifted again from just regular water to living water. This is about your soul. And really what Jesus is getting down to is not idolatry, um, or adultery, or the marriages, what he really wants to talk to her about is her worship. And we see her start to understand that because she has a response that's in verse 20. But before we get there, I want you to understand something, that Jesus is not there to have a conversation to condemn her. She's already condemned by the law. So John 3, 16 and 17, we talked about this last week. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He's not there to rub her nose in the carpet. He's not there to beat her brow. He's there to be honest with her. So often we've seen that people were like, Hey, do you want to love Jesus? And they're like, Yeah, well, come on. But Jesus knows that's not the right way to do it. Like he goes, I want all of you. I want the heart. I want you. And so he's willing to have this conversation because he's not there to condemn, but to call her into repentance, to call her to true worship. So when we start talking about worship in verse 20, she starts talking about worship she knows and she understands. And she says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. This is what the Jews say. 
So Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. See, for her, you worshiped in a place, right? So even for the Jewish people, they say, Where do you worship the Father? You go to the temple. Where do you worship here in this area? It would be on this mountain, this specified holy sign. Holy signs were very important in this time and in this culture. And they had great relevance to how you lived out your faith and religion. And so what Jesus is doing, again, very carefully, is saying these holy signs are not greater than me. The water is not greater than me. So he's talking to her and he says, okay, you believe that these things are coming. And he's like, in the hour when neither this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. In verse 22, he says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. And in verse 23, this is the best part. He says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. It's the very thing he's doing with her. He is seeking true worshipers. He's doing it in spirit and in truth. So often we get caught up in what we're supposed to do and be where we're supposed to be. Or the opposite of not doing what we're not supposed to do or not being where we're supposed to not be. But he's saying we're going to worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. So she has this future hope. She has this like, well, this is how things are right now. But one day, one day there will be a Messiah who comes. And Jesus is responding to her, letting her know that the well is not important, that these mountains in Jerusalem, they're not important. The living water is me. I supersede all of those things. Because Jesus is seeking those who will worship with a transformed heart. He's not looking for acts or appearances of obedience. If you have kids, have you ever asked them to do something and they did it with a begrudging heart? You know, where the trash bag is just dragging down the driveway? And they throw it. There, I did it. That's not the whole heart, is it? Jesus isn't looking for just us to do something. He's wanting all of us. He wants the whole person. He wants all of you. I'm reading a book with the elders and there's a line in it for reflection and it really hit me is, do you want to be a believer who's well taught or do you want to be someone who has a transformed heart? Amen. Boy, that hit me hard. Because church, there is times in my life and ministry where I've strived to be the well-taught believer, to have the right answers, to know what to do. Because I thought if I did them and I had this control, then it made me something. It made me something that Jesus could use or would want to use. But really it was about me worshiping self. It was how I portrayed myself and wanted to be portrayed around people. So I didn't share struggles. I didn't admit sin. If I did, it was calculated. Yeah, I used to do that a long time ago. 
by the way, a long time ago in my timeline, it was like a yesterday. It was calculated. It was manipulative. Because I worshiped myself and I was not willing to sacrifice or lay it down that somebody might know me. And that didn't just translate to people around me. It ultimately translated to God. And God is looking at me going, I know your heart. I see where you're at. And yet he chooses to love us. Not to condemn us while we are sinners, Christ died for us. While we are enemies of God, Christ died for us. And he goes after the person. He goes after the heart. Church, we don't want to just be well-taught believers. We want to be transformed by our hearts through the renewing of God's word and the work of the Holy Spirit. Because we are all false worshipers. I, for the longest time, did not understand that. For the longest time, it was just don't do this and do this. But what it really comes down to is what my heart longs for and strives for. Those idols, the things that I worship, they never give what they say they'll give. I was longing for acceptance from people, and it was never enough. It was never enough. I felt lonely. I felt isolated because the ultimate thing was nobody really knew me. It wasn't until I stepped out in faith knowing that God's love was steadfast and pure and unconditional that I could be ultimately who I was, and he could meet me in that suffering and redeem me and pull me out of it. And that's a process still happening today. I'm not done yet. That won't happen until the day of the Lord. So we are all false worshipers by nature. And when we worship something, when we bow our hearts to something, it requires something. It requires sacrifice. I worked hard to, to please my idols. I worked hard. I sacrificed for those. But they never gave back what they promised. Jesus is going to love all of us to have that hard conversation. And as a biblical community, we want to have that hard conversation together. Not to condemn, not to shame, not to point out your shortcomings to shape your identity of who you are. What God wants to do is take that broken identity and give us the one that he has died for, that he has been buried for, the one he has resurrected for as holy and just set apart, righteous, heirs of God. He gives us a new identity. Through the book of John, God has, Jesus has been revealing himself through his miracles and his teaching, and he's given them glimpses of what's coming ahead. But in this moment, the woman's saying, hey, the Messiah's coming. Jesus looks at her and he goes, this wait is now over. The time is now. I am he. I am him. The living water you've been looking for, that you look for in your husbands, the living water that you've looked for in isolation, because maybe just being not around people would be the answer. He's like, I'm he. I'm what you've been looking for. I'm what you're longing for. Nothing else is going to satisfy So as a church here today, we're going to be calling the worship team up to lead us. But as we're getting ready for that, I want to ask you a few questions. Is where in your life are you looking for living water that only God can provide? Are you looking for living water in your spouse? They may be a great person. You may love them, have a lot of fun, but they will never be the answer. They will fail every time. 
Maybe you're looking for it in your kids or maybe your kid's success in school or baseball or extra activities. I got news for you, that's not the answer. It'll never provide for your children what the living water of God does. Maybe you're looking for it in your job, your identity, socially or economically. If I could just get to this place, or if I could just turn the corner, or if I had this new season of life, then things would be better. Or if we would get out of this old house and get into a new house. Or maybe it's just something simple like you wish your window worked in your car. Life would just be so much better. And what Jesus is saying to the woman at the well and to you and I today is that you're going to have to go back to every single time. But he goes, in me, a living water will well up out of the soul and you will never be thirsty again. If you're here today and you've never known what it means to have a personal relationship with Christ, then we want you to have that opportunity to ask questions and respond. Our prayer partners are going to be up front and at the back that we would love to pray with you. Some of our pastors will be up here as well. I believe when God's word speaks, he speaks clearly to us and he gives us an opportunity to respond. And so whether that's in your chair or coming up to a prayer partner, please be faithful to do so. Let's pray.